0: Husky Talk. We are our host Ty Graver and Nick Ryder. Today we will be we will be interviewing a volunteer for the Iditarod. You may see Trailbreaker on the GPS map. Spencer Page is one of the trailbreakers. Welcome to the show,
1: Spencer. Hi, Spencer.
2: Hey, Nick and Ty, is that the name?
1: Yep.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well it's it's uh, fifteen degrees and snowing right now in Wasilla, Alaska which is where the Iditarod headquarters is located at. So at least we're getting some snow, getting ready for the race. Did you feel and, the earthquake uh, last night? Excuse me?
0: Did you, did you feel the earthquake last night?
2: Oh, yes. It was 12.34 in the morning here at my house when it shook. And it, it seemed like it shook for about a minute or so, and chandeliers and the ceiling fan were swaying back and forth pretty good but it wasn't hard enough to knock any pictures off the wall so it wasn't that bad it was from where I live to where the center of, of it was out in the ocean south of Kodiak we're pretty, pretty far ways away from that but it definitely woke me up
1: welcome to the show and thank you for being with us thanks for having me yep no problem We like to start each show by asking all of our guests who or what inspired you to get involved in the Iditarod.
2: I think the main reason I got involved was just to be part of something bigger. I mean, Iditarod is is probably the biggest sport when it comes to Alaska sports. You know, so much more than than hockey or basketball or anything like that, and I just saw it as an opportunity to help out, you know, and to be be a part of something bigger. This is the biggest way. And I was fortunate enough to know um, through other industries in Alaska some of the main guys that, that worked for Iditarod and put Iditarod together, such as, you know, the race marshal, Mr. Mark Nordman, and at the time the race logistics coordinator, Andy Willis, um, I was good friends with them first and they just asked asked me to come help and and uh and basically to help take care of uh, a trail project that had got burned by a forest fire a long time ago. And uh the first trip out there to help on that on that clearing project I knew it was something that I really enjoyed doing, really liked being out in the wilderness, you know, remote and you know, just being, our own, being self-sufficient and kind take care of ourselves and, and complete a job because if we didn't complete our job, there wasn't going to be a rate. I just found that very rewarding.
0: We know you're a trailbreaker. Before we get into questions about trailbreaking, can you tell our audience briefly what a trailbreaker does?
2: Well, the trailbreakers, in short, put in the actual trail from the start all the way to the finish line. And so as being a trail breaker, we we go out before the dogs and the racers, and we usually start four or five days before the race starts. And it's myself and five other guys, so there's six of us, and we're riding big snow machines, dragging groomers to smooth out the trail. And, to, and those big heavy machines help pack the snow and make the trail firm and hard for the dogs to run on. That way they're just not always going straight to their chest every time they step in soft snow. And so as we go along, when we're going across big, wide-open spaces, you know, big lakes, and especially when we hit the coast, we put in trail markers. And basically, a trail marker is called a piece of lap, and the lap is... Uh, if you're familiar with it, it's, it's surveyors use it. It's about a three-foot-long stick with a painted orange on top with a little blue and reflector flag on it that we put on. helps mark the trail when you're out in big open spaces. And then when, as we go through spots where we go through trees or go through sections of the trail that, that have been burned through forest fires and there's fallen-down trees and trees grow and bushes... As snow falls in the bushes, it pushes the trees over into the trail. We cut all that out. That way there's a designated trail for the racers.
1: How many years have you volunteered for this position?
2: I'm going on eight or nine years now, I
0: believe. What are the most common things you have to do to get the trail cleared?
2: Most common things is like cutting brush and trees that have grown up in the trail throughout the years um, tying ribbon and, and putting up permanent reflectors on trees to, to mark the designated trail and then one of the main things we have to do it seems like every year as the trail goes up and over the Alaska range we have to build ice bridges there's there's a lot of creeks that don't freeze believe it or not, up in the mountains so, because the water is always flowing constantly. So anytime that the trail will, have, will cross open water, we have to build an ice bridge. An ice bridge entails of, of cutting big trees and falling big trees across the open water and stacking three, four, five, sometimes six or seven right beside each other and then putting little spruce boughs or stick on top of the logs and then shoveling snow Onto the top of that, and then shoveling water onto the top of the snow. That way, it freezes and creates a bridge across open water. That way, the dogs and the mushers don't have to go into the water. It seems like every year we have to build somewhere between thirty and fifty of those ice bridges.
0: How many people work as trail breakers?
2: There's six of us um, that are that are full time that go year after year on the actual race during the race but even before that there's usually a couple extra anywhere from two to four extra so anywhere from six to ten guys that volunteer throughout the year to work on sections of the trail
1: how many miles do you usually cover in one day
2: well it just all depends on the section of the trail um like on this side of the Alaska Range, we typically do somewhere between 50 and 75 miles a day just because it's, there's so much to do. There's so many trees to cut. There's so much brush to cut out of the trail. And then, like I said, building those ice bridges, that usually takes us quite a bit of time. But then once we, the, once we hit the coast, we can usually do about 100 miles in a day.
1: How long would you say it takes to prepare the trail?
2: Oh, this year it's taken a little bit longer, um, but on average, I would say it usually takes 21 to 28 days, so anywhere from, from three to four weeks of, of solid work to prepare the trail.
0: What would happen if the trail wasn't ready in time because machinery wasn't working properly? Uh-huh
2: they would probably cancel the race or, or not cancel it, but, you know, it's just, you know, you know, just like in any kind of sport, they'd call it timeout and stop and freeze the racers and freeze the dogs wherever checkpoint they come into and hold them there until we could get caught up or, uh, or, or get back in gear or, or even that. Um, but a funny story, or not a funny story, um, a story a few years back, there was a big snowstorm that came through, and the Iditarod Air Force was grounded. They couldn't fly due to snowy conditions. And so the trail breakers were out ahead, and we came to a checkpoint that hadn't even been set up yet. So there was, there was nobody there to man the checkpoint because the Air Force couldn't fly, and the dogs were right behind us. So we, the six of us, trailbreakers, went on ahead to the next major village and, and grabbed a few volu- local volunteers from the village to help us, and we gathered up as much local supplies as we could get, rounded up as far as propane and tents and, you know, and, and, and stuff like that and dog food and straw that we borrowed and we took it back down the trail back to the checkpoint and got it all set up just in time as the first mushers were coming in. And then we had to turn around and get back up and the weather cleared the next day and then the Air Force was able to get in and finish outfitting that checkpoint for the rest of the mush the main part of the pack of mushers that were coming in the next day. So a lot of times You know, the weather and equipment will throw a wrench in our plans, but, you know, there's enough of us, I would say, and there's enough resources that we may have to, you know, ride for 24 hours straight, but we'll get it done.
1: When you're out on the trail, do you have any protection?
2: Protection from what?
1: Like wild animals or such like that?
2: (coughs) We do carry firearms with us, you know, a pistol of something like that, just in case of, of such situations. You know, all the bears are hibernating because it's still wintertime up here, so we never have to worry about bears. But every once in a while, you'll find a moose um, that's pretty ornery or something like that. But we've never had to had to use deadly force in order to protect ourselves. But we do carry just in case.
0: What's the biggest challenge about being a trail breaker?
2: Uh, the biggest challenge, I would say, is weather. Um, mm. You know, every, every year is different. Sometimes it's such inconsistent. I mean, I've been on parts of the trail where it was 45 degrees above zero and the st- snow was melting and, you know, the water was running on top of the ice and our machines were getting stuck in overflow which is when water is above the ice. And so basically you're driving through a swamp. Um, And then on the other hand, last year, when we were going down the Yukon River, it was negative 55. So just trying to stay warm. I mean, it's almost, you can't put enough clothes on to stay warm and you have to wear goggles all the time or your eyelids, your eyeballs will freeze and then have, having to stop every couple hours to build a fire just to warm up. I would say that's the biggest challenge. Being a trailbreaker is just the weather.
0: What's your favorite thing about being a trailbreaker?
2: Getting to see Alaska. I I find that the biggest draw to, to being a trailbreaker is, is starting in Anchorage and going all the way across the entire state and getting to see the different terrain and the different animals and and getting to just take it all in as far as traveling down the trail at 10 miles an hour or so is what we usually travel.
0: Do you snow machine back to Anchorage after the race is over?
2: No, once we get to Nome, um, we get off our snow machines. And we um, take all the tools off and all of our purse and stuff off, and we usually fly home. And then our machines are loaded onto a cargo jet and then are flown back to Anchorage. So as soon as we get there, you know, we're done.
0: We recently have started a new segment called Lightning Round. We ask you a quick question, and you respond as quick as you can. Got it?
1: Ready? <laughs> Ready. Golf or tennis?
0: TV or computer?
1: Uh, TV. Favorite drink? Iced tea.
0: French fries or onion rings?
1: French fries. Favorite athlete? Uh, Bo Jackson.
0: How do you like your food done, grilled or smoked?
1: Grilled. Favorite musher? Ali Zirkle.
0: Pro sports or college sports?
1: College. Our final segment of the show is what we like to call Mount, Mushroom Mount Rushmore. You know Mount Rushmore, right? Yes, I do. If you were asked to replace the four president faces on Mount Rushmore to faces of people who have made a huge impact on the on the Iditarod, who would you choose? You can pick mushers, dogs, volunteers, or whatever you want.
2: Ooh, I think I'd have to pick Joey Reddington, Jr., uh, Philip Esai, a local volunteer that passed away a couple years ago from Nikolai, Alaska. Uh, Mark Nordman, a race marshal. He does a tremendous amount of things. And uh, behind the scenes more than in front of the scenes, I would say. And then Susan Butcher. Favorite of mine had passed away.
0: Thank you for your time in allowing us to talk with you, Spencer.
2: Sure, thanks for having me. I enjoyed it.
0: Special thanks to Spencer Page for joining us on a sp- episode of Husky Talk. Special credit to Hobo Jim for our on the Editarod Trail song.